Open your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're learning about growing up spiritually. We see in these verses, these verses are written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. The church is in Ephesus, actually. But certainly they apply to all of us, and we've spent a lot of time already going through these first 16 verses. And I want to pick up here, uh, let's start in verse 11. And he himself gave some, that's some of the gifts he gave to the church, to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. The reason these gifts are given to the church is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. We spent a lot of time going over what that is. For the purpose of edifying or building up or strengthening and increasing the body of Christ. And this is the goal. Until we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect, that word means mature man, and the measure of that maturity is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And this is what we began to talk about last time, that we're no longer to be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the (coughs) trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things to him who is the head, even Christ. Now, I don't have to turn back there, but the first verse of this letter is Paul the Apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say Paul the Apostle Jesus Christ by the will of God to the children's church at the children's at the children's church in Ephesus. The point is this letter is written to adults, adult Christians, and he's telling them here that they're no longer to be like children. And that tells us that we can be chronologically adults. In a couple of months, I'm going to be 65 years old. That doesn't mean, although I'm physically 65, that all the areas of my life, I am that same level of maturity. And don't look at me in that tone of voice. (laughs) You probably aren't either. And these Christians were not. So although they were physically mature, and although they had reached a certain age of maturity in terms of maybe legally and whatever, you know, children get to wait, they can't wait till 16. Because at 16 they get that little piece of paper or card now that allows them to drive your car (laughs) that you insure. I heard a, a, a Christian comedian the other day say, say, he's convinced that teenagers, and I know we have some up here, so, but we've all been that. So the, the, Christian, the teenagers are God's way of getting back at us because it lets us know what, what he has to go through when he has kids that don't listen to him and don't recognize who he is. So when we don't recognize who he is and respect him, that's what teenagers are for to let us know what we're like with him. And he says the Bible doesn't say anything about what age... Lucifer was when he fell and rebelled against God. He says, I'm convinced he was 15. (laughs) So, praise God. The point is this. We're all in some phase of growing up. So, teenagers, let me encourage you with this. Your parents, who are telling you what to do and not do, are also themselves at some stage of maturing and growing up because we've not yet reached the stature that the Bible requires of us, which is the fullness of the maturity of Jesus Christ himself. 
And so that's the goal that God has for us. And so this is perhaps, as I was meditating on this this morning, I really sensed in me to share this with you and with myself, that this next to the decision that you made to receive Christ and, become, and be saved, be born again, this is probably the next most important thing you will ever do, which is to grow up spiritually. Because understand this, that God, from God's perspective and from the Bible's perspective, that the 60, 70, 80, 90 years that you have on this earth is not everything. That what you're going through and what you're maturing in now is to prepare you for what God has for you when you get to heaven. You understand, and we've mentioned this before, in heaven you don't just sit on a cloud with a harp and eat whatever they eat up there and not get fat and drink whatever they drink and not get fat. Heaven is a place where you have responsibilities. I was looking at some of them this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it talks about, don't you know, he's dealing with people, Christians say, you know, when you go to a, a, a pagan judge to resolve the issues that two Christians he said, have among each other, between each other, you fail. Don't you understand that you're going to judge angels when you come back here? That means we have a job to do. In, a, in the parable of the, of the talents that's in, I think it's Luke's version, He says, when the master comes back and he says, don't you understand? He says, because you've been faithful with these 10, with the 10 talents that I gave you, I'm going to make you ruler over 10 cities because you were faithful with little. I'm going to give you responsibility over much. What you've been entrusted with in terms of your growth and maturity is helping to develop in you the character and the faithfulness that God wants to be able to use in your full-time assignment. So what's at stake here is a great deal. It's not just whether you get to heaven. It's not even just the rewards. It's the responsibility you're going to have to look in the Lord's eyes and see looking back at you that you were faithful to grow and mature. Now here's what I'm entrusting to you. Oh, I want that so much. So this process of growth and maturity is not, I mean, I look at at my age, you can look and say, well, why is it worth it? Can you change? Sure you can. You can change at any age. It just sometimes takes a little more work when you've started later. But anybody can change because God says so. And it's not relying on you. It's the, if you'll just do the things he says to do, and that's what we're going to begin to look at today. If you just do the things that he says to do, then he'll make sure you grow up. Understand every challenge you have in your life is an opportunity to grow. Every person that's in your life that you don't like or doesn't like you is an opportunity to mature. Because there was a point in time where you didn't like God and he still loved you because he's mature. There were people on Jesus' staff and all around him who didn't agree with him, who had struggled with things he was doing, but he continued to love them. He loved the very men that were nailing him to the cross. That's why he did it. And that's the level of maturity that he wants to bring us to. Well, we saw last week in order to do that, we've got to begin to realize that there are areas in our life where there's childishness because childishness is the other side of maturity. And so you can be physically an adult but emotionally a child. So we looked at some of the evidences, some of the indications of childishness, not childlikeness. There's a difference because Jesus told his disciples, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to become like a child. That's childlikeness. Childlikeness is an innocence. It's a willingness to believe what you're told. It's a, it's a humility. It's, it's an open acceptedness. 
It's not judging. It's in, in Jesus loved children. They gathered around him. And that's why he just told his disciples, you've got to become like these if you're going to enter the kingdom of God. But that's not childishness. It's childlikeness. Childishness, basically, we looked at last week, is self-centeredness. It's selfishness. A child, a young child, everything revolves around them. All they care about is their needs, what they want, and they want it now. So it's, it's, it's selfishness, it's self-centeredness, it's impatience. We see here, as we go on and read a little bit, another indication of childishness, and we cover, touched on this a little bit. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children, and one of the signs of childishness is tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men and cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Childishness is up and down, not instability. One day you're up, everything's great, and the next day everything's falling apart. And the reason for that is you based your stability, you based your trust, you based your security on the things you see and you feel and things that are happening around you instead of on God and on His Word because His Word never changes and He never changes. So part of our process of growing and maturing is learning to walk by faith and not by sight because the things you see will change. The circumstances around you will change. And we're living in a time and a culture where things are changing drastically around us and will in all likelihood change even more so and become less reliable. And there'll be a time the Bible talks about a great shaking, shaking, in which will be everything that, that you trust your trust in this of this world you will find will shake, and we see evidence of that already. And the only thing that won't shake is what will, the things that are not shaken, the things that are eternal are what will remain, the things you put your faith and trust in God's word, God Himself, the Spirit of God in you, the promises of God. You learn to grow and put your trust in those things; they never change. And, when, and so you can tell you're beginning to grow and mature because when things around you start falling apart, you don't. When things around you start shifting that used to shake you and they don't shake you anymore, that's a sign you're growing and maturing. And if things easily shake you and move you, set you off, we saw touchiness, easily offended, all those are indications of childishness that may still be in our lives. And, and, and God, remember, God's not condemning us. He's helping us to see where we are so that we can grow and mature. And today we're going to begin to look at how, how that process is by which we can grow and mature. There's a tremendous book that Brother Hagen, Kenneth Hagen wrote years and years ago. We have it in the bookstore. I would recommend it if you don't have it. It's called Growing Up Spiritually. A very simple book, and it talks about these characteristics. Growing Up Spiritually, we have it in the bookstore. I know we'll need to get more since I'm mentioning it now. But I would encourage you to read it and read it over periodically and read it over with your toes back under the chair because it will step on your toes. <laughs> it will help you locate where you are and see where you are spiritually. And that's important to know because God will meet you where you are. He already knows. So if you're immature, God knows. And probably the people around you do. Usually we're the last ones to figure it out. And so it's better off to face it, find out, and then begin to admit it and say grow. Because all growth begins with an acknowledgement of where you are. And then the second thing is a willingness to change. We'll see that a little bit more as we move into this. All right. Let's move on and see how this happens. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head. So the process involves 
the truth, speaking the truth, and we'll see a little later, receiving the truth. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't mind, I'm going to take my jacket off because it's a little warm up here. And I will probably get a little warmer. 1 Peter chapter 2, he's talking about the process of how we were born again. Um, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. So we're talking about we grow up by the speaking of truth. Obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. We'll see what that seed is in a second. And the seed is through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So we were born again by having received the seed, which Peter says is the word of God and it's incorruptible and it lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass which means it's temporary and all the glory of man is as the flower of the grass the grass withers and its flower falls away but the word of the Lord the truth of the Lord endures forever Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, this is what we're to do then. He's talking to people that have received the word, the incorruptible word which is forever. This is how you grow and mature. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. So we see that Peter says that not only are we born again by receiving the word, which he calls a seed, the incorruptible seed, and that that word never changes because God and his word are one. But not only that, we then grow because he says when you start out, you start out as a baby. And we talked last week. This process of maturing spiritually is an exact parallel of the process of maturing physically. In reality, it's the other way around. Because in in the reality, spiritual things happen first and natural things follow that pattern. God says, He is a Father and the fatherhood of man in this earth is an image of what His real fatherhood is like. Hebrews tells us that everything, in chapter 11, everything exists, first of all, in the spirit realm before it exists in this natural realm. So the true biblical pattern is that things exist in the spirit realm and then they're brought into this realm. Well, the same is true in terms of the process of maturing. The physical process of maturing of your body is a reflection of the true process of maturing, which is of your real man, your spirit, and your soul. But it helps because, understand, because we're all familiar with the process of physical maturing since hopefully we've gone down that road already or at least we're somewhere along that road. 
Well, that same process works. This is you start as a baby and you grow and mature. And as a baby, your focus is different. Your focus is inward. Your focus is on yourself. Your focus is on natural things, on your needs being met and all of that. And we talked about all that process of, of learning to grow outwardly and accept responsibility as you grow physically and as you grow emotionally. It's the same as true spiritually. You start out as a baby. You may be, have come to Christ when you were 60 years of age. So you may be physically an adult. You may be emotionally adult. But when you come to Christ, you start out with him as a baby. You're growing up spiritually. And so as a child, as a baby, a natural baby, we don't, ex- we don't expect things of a natural baby that we expect of an adult because we understand there's this process of growing and of maturing. Well, in the same way, God is the same way with us when we're born again as a baby. He'll just do things for you that later on he won't just do for you. He expects you to exercise your faith and do for yourself because he understands your... He has to feed you himself. But we see here that just as your physical body grows by the process of drinking milk, in the same way there's the milk of the word which is the process by which we grow. And he parallels that or compares that to a seed, which we'll see more clearly in a a few moments. So Peter says that you start out as a baby in Christ, and the process of growing is by receiving the word, which is like milk. And we all, you know, baby, you you nurse the baby. Whether you're not nursing it, you feed it a bottle with milk, and they've got formula that contains all the things that that baby's going to need to grow through the first few months and even years of its life are contained in that mother's milk or the, the milk that you feed, that you buy at a store, but they now put all the nutrition, nutrients in there that are needed. And you don't feed steak to the baby. You feed milk because that's all the baby can handle. Well, turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 5. Go back a little bit. Now, the book of Hebrews is a letter written by the author, whether it's Paul or whoever. It's basically correcting Jewish believers who had been scattered abroad because they were, being, they were having infiltrated among them teachings that were designed to draw them back under some of the practices under the law. And I say that so that you understand that this letter is written primarily as a letter of correction. And we'll talk about correction a little later on because that's part of the process of growing. So you have to understand that the tone here is from the point of view of a father correcting his child. So we're going to pick up here in verse, let's start in verse 12. Because he's told them some things that they've been doing wrong. Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. In other words, by virtue of how long you've been saved, you should be teaching other people. But you need someone instead to teach you again the first principles of the oracles or the teachings or the word of God. For you have come to need milk and not solid food. In other words, he's saying, by virtue of how long you've been saved, you should already be teaching other people. In other words, you should be stepping now into another role where not only are you just receiving, but you're beginning to take your place, which we're going to talk about later on. And you're now beginning to take some of what you've learned and grown and give it to others. That's what you should be doing now by virtue of how long you've been saved. 
but instead you need me to go back and teach you the basics again that you were taught already once before. Because the word again means to give you something that you've already been given before. So notice how he describes what that is. To teach again the first principles of the oracles of God. Now he's going to make this comparison that we've been talking about. For you have come to need milk and not solid food. So now we see that there's another type of food that's being used to describe what's needed for spiritual growth. We saw that Peter talks about that you grow from being a baby by receiving the milk of the word. But now we see the writer of Hebrews says that but milk is only for the young. That in order to grow after a certain stage in life, physically, if you just drink milk and you're five and six and eight and ten years old, there's going to be some problems because you need more than milk provides. You need protein. You need other things that milk does not provide. And so, you know, the big moment, of course, with a baby is when they can begin to eat solid food. That's a sign that they're physically growing and maturing, that their body can now handle it. And what he's saying is, you should be eating solid spiritual food now, but I can't give it to you. i got to go back and give you the milk of the word again. So we see that there's another level of spiritual food that has more to it. It's more meaty, it's more chewy. And I've heard people think, talk about the meat of the word referring to the, the deep, secrets and revelations of God. But stop and think about what meat is naturally. It's just something that's more difficult to chew and swallow, isn't it? Milk goes down easily, especially especially if it's got a little ice cream in it and you're shaking it up. As a milkshake goes down really easily. Milk goes down nice and easily. It's refreshing. It doesn't require hardly any skill at all. It doesn't require teeth. It's It's easily... received and it's easily digested. Meat, on the other hand, requires that you've reached a certain level of physical maturity and skill. Because if you give a baby a piece of steak, they don't have the teeth, so they can't chew it. They don't know how to chew yet, so all they're going to try to do is swallow it and they'll choke on it. So meat does not refer to deep revelation. Meat instead refers to things that are in the Word that are a little harder to accept. that are not quite as easy to swallow like some of what we're beginning to hear. Well, let's look a little bit further here. Verse 13, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby. So in order to receive the meat of the word, it requires some skill with the word. And that skill doesn't mean you've got to go to seminary or Bible school. What it means is you have to take some work in it. Again, a baby requires no work, no effort, in order to receive the milk other than this. Just open them, and it's a reflex that God built into the baby. So they're born with a sucking reflex because that's how they're going to survive. And that's all they need. It's the only skill they need. 
And as long as you put in the mouth that milk, they, they have an instinct of what to do with it. But they have to learn how to chew. They learn, have to, have to learn how to, in order to, oh, this is good. In order to chew, you have to be a little patient, don't you? You can't just take that piece of meat because you're hungry and go, <coughs> and just open and swallow it. You'll choke to death. So you have to learn to take it in bite-sized pieces. And then when you take that bite, I'm going to lose some of you in a minute here. You get that bite and you put it in your mouth. Now you can't just swallow You have to... And some of it's a little harder to chew than others. It takes a little time, which requires a little patience. I don't like that word. Where the baby goes, and if you don't put it in there, they scream because they want it now. No patience. So the skill that he's talking about here implies work, which implies study. Work. I used to wonder, I mean, my professional training before I became a minister was as a lawyer. So not only did I have four years of college, I had three years of law school. And I remember when I, one of my favorite courses, I've told you this before, so you, and I, I'm not there anymore, so you don't have to pray about this for me. But I, I, it was the Internal Revenue Code. It was a lot simpler then than it is now. But what I liked about it, what I liked about the laws and statutes is they were laid out in some kind of rational form. So you could find what you were looking for. So if you're trying to find out what the law, what, what the real estate law in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts was, there was only two sections of the, of the laws of Massachusetts you had to go to, and they were broken down by subjects. So it was rationally laid out because they're trying to help you find it. I remember saying to God, why didn't you do that with the Bible? Why isn't there a section in the Bible on healing? Why isn't there a section in the beginning on salvation? So you can just go to this section and everything you need to know about it is there. He says, because then you wouldn't have to work at it. We're going to see a principle whether we get to it today or not. And I've told you this before. Where you'll see very often the way Jesus taught is he would have the whole crowd around him to tell stories called parables. Just tell a story. Then he'd withdraw. And those that wanted to know what the story meant would come up to him and ask him. And to them, he would give another layer of understanding of what the story was about. He didn't teach it to people that didn't want to know. And there's a principle in there that the more you dig into it, the more time you spend in it, the more value it becomes to you because you've invested more of yourself in it. It doesn't come easy. So it's like chewing the meat. It requires effort and work and the development of skill to say, okay, I've got, now, now I've got to go look up where else is this word? Where else is this idea? Where else? And so we now have tremendous resources available, concordances and all, you know, uh, in, in Bible software and all kinds of things that people generations before didn't have. And yet it's amazing the understanding that they had because they just read and studied and remembered and took notes and developed a skill, and then in applying it. So one of the signs he's saying is, you've, you know, you, because you've got to go back and take milk, it's because you haven't developed, you're not ready for the meat, which requires a skill in the word of righteousness. So you're going to have to go back and receive milk again, because that's all you can handle.
Verse 14. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that's spiritually, that is those who by reason of use or practice have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. So the process of growth is where we get to the point, well, here's a good example of this. When our children were small, and especially with our youngest two, because I, was, I understood more than I did with the older two, I knew that my goal as a father and our goal as parents was to come to the place where we could release our children into the world where, where they, we would know that built into them was a sense of right and wrong. Built in them were the values and things that they would need so that when they're out there on their own, I don't have to call them up every five minutes and say, do this, and they're not calling me every ten minutes and say, what's right to do, what's wrong to hear, because they already knew. The process of growth was with that goal in mind. So they would go through the process of, of, of training them. So I'd give them responsibilities. And if they didn't do it right, I would teach them. So I wouldn't give them something beyond what they could handle. But as they saw that they had the ability to handle things, and that means I had to be free to let them make mistakes. Nothing that was fatal or serious, but so they could find us. Sometimes, for instance, when I was teaching them how to drive, I started out in a parking lot. I teach them where the sides of the car are, and I did it where there are white lines so that if they make a mistake and it was late at night so nobody else was out there, it was no big deal if they crossed a line. Then I would take them out on a, on a country road where there was no curb because the hardest thing when you're learning to drive is to know where the right-hand side of the car is. The left hand's easier because you can see it. You have to get a feel for where that is. Well, sometimes that comes by trial and error. So I'd take them off and let them drive slowly off the road and feel what it was like so they get a sense of the feel. So I let them make that mistake because they learned by correcting that. But the goal was so that they could learn to drive and I'd have confidence that they would know where that is. We build other things into them, basically so that they would know right and wrong. And the proof of it was, 11 years ago when we took them to college and left them on that dorm, and I realized that the other men on that dorm that now surrounded them were going to have more influence in their lives from that point on than I was going to have again. And they were going to be 1,600 miles away. And that's when we had to have confidence in what we'd put in them. They'd grown to the place where we had confidence that they knew enough of what was right and wrong that their lives were not going to get torn apart by some stupid decision that they were going to make. And they've proven that out. And so that's this process, is to grow into the place where we have some sense, we have a knowledge of what's right and what's wrong, what's good from what's bad, scripturally and spiritually, because we've learned from the Word of God. Now, how do we do that? Well, we've seen it's all by what you eat. So it starts out with milk, which is what helps you grow, but you've got to grow to the place where you can begin to handle and eat things out of the Word of God that are not just the easy things to receive. What are the easy things to receive? God loves me, and that's important. You have to have that as your foundation. What are easy things to receive? God will provide, provide all my needs, supply all my needs according to His riches. The easy things to receive are the things that God's going to do for you. The blessings. And they're there, they're real, they're important. I still drink milk. Not lots of it. I put milk on my cereal. So it's not that I stop drinking milk, but it's not the only thing I eat. And if your whole focus as the Word of God is around what God's going to do for you, His blessings, His provision, all those things, that's wonderful, they're real, that'll encourage you. But at some point, we've got to grow up. And realize that the kingdom of God does not just exist for John. The body of Christ is not here on the earth to supply John's needs. 
God will use people and God will supply my needs, but He may actually want to use me to supply someone else's. Oh, oh my. But isn't that part of natural maturity? When I begin to realize that I'm in this family and this family doesn't just exist for me to feed me and play with me and do what I want to do, but there are other things that need to be done for the welfare and well-being of the whole family and that actually other people have needs, even maybe some of my brothers or sisters. We may actually have to share the bathroom or share some things in the house, like even mom and dad. Or wait while somebody else is served first. Or maybe you watch a TV show. I don't particularly want to watch, but somebody else in the family wants to watch. I've got to be careful of that one. <laughs> that one may come back to hit me. <laughs> but that's part of the process of natural growth. That's also part of the process of spiritual growth. And it's the meat of the word that begins to talk to us about our responsibility. It's the meat of the word that begins to talk to us about the things. But see, it's the meat that gets us closer to what Christ was like. Gets us closer to what Christ is like. Well, let's turn to... to, um, Let's see where we're going to turn to. Let's turn to Mark chapter 4. And we'll see this process a little more clearly. How does this work? What do I have to do? This is the parable of the sower, and I'm not going to spend the time to go, well, let's read down quickly through it. And again he began to teach by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered to him, and so he got on a boat. Notice the great multitude. So he got on a boat and sat it on the sea, and a whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. And he taught them many things by parable, and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some seed on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. And when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground, and yielded a crop that sprang up, increasing and produced, increasing and produced. When we talked about the parable of the talents, God's given you talents. He's given you things. He's put gifts in you, and He's expecting those gifts to produce. Thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And He said to them, it's a strange thing, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, they all had pieces of flesh on the side of their head. So He's not talking about the piece of flesh on the side of their head. He's talking about hearing with your heart. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, really hear. Wives, you know what this is like. You're not listening, dear. Oh, I heard every word you said. Yeah, but you know he didn't hear. Verse 10, now look at this. But when he was alone. Remember, there's a great multitude. He got out on the boat. to tip, And all he does is tell them stories. But when he was alone, look at this. And those around him with the twelve. So it isn't just the twelve that he pulls aside privately and says, now the rest of you, you've got to stay out there, but let's scare you guys, the twelve, my staff, come here, let's do, because I'm going to give you the inner secrets. What he does is he withdraws from the crowd 
And you can see it more clearly in Matthew's account. You can see it after he does the Sermon on the Mount. He draws, he's been ministering to people and says in the beginning that he withdrew up the mountain and his disciples came. You see, in Matthew's account of this was in Matthew 13. He told the parable and he withdraws up the mountain. And now he's pulled aside and the twelve, but obviously others came too to get understanding of what he meant. They had an appetite. They had an appetite for something other than the milk. Because the story is easy to receive. The story is entertaining. But there were some among the group that were hungry or thirsty for something more that he had for them. So they followed him. They pursued the food. See, when, the, when we're a baby, you bring the food to the baby. But when you're grown up, it's on the table. And say, all right, come and get it. Come and come. Come. Come and get it. Not when you're 16. Oh, wherever you are, I'm going to search you down. You can sit on my lap and I'm going to feed you. Something's wrong with this picture. The food's prepared, it's there on the table, but you've got to come and choose to eat it. At 16, 17, 18, 22, mom's not going to feed you. She'll provide it, but mom's not going to feed you because when you grow and get out there on your own, you've got to figure out how to go buy it yourself, cook it yourself, and then eat it yourself. And the same is true with the Word of God. Verse 10, when he was alone, those around, those around him, together with the twelve, asked him about the parable. And he said to them, look at this, to you it's been given to know the mystery of the kingdom. See, God didn't, he didn't say, look, there's only a select group that get to know the real secret of the kingdom. It's this group over here. The rest of you, I'm just going to tell stories too, but when this service is over, I'm going to tell this select group what it means. No, no, no. The ones he says it was given to know the mystery are the ones who came and wanted something more. They wanted to know the more depth of what this meant. Because stories are entertaining. These stories were entertaining. I'm sure he told them in a very way to easy to receive, just like milk. But they wanted something more, something meatier, something that had more substance to it so they could grow. And he says, to you who've come, to you who want to know, to you who have ears to really hear the message, to chew it up and swallow it, to you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. So that seeing, this is a quote from Isaiah, they may see and not perceive. So they could see who he was, but they couldn't perceive the real truth. Hearing, they may hear but not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Verse 13, he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all parables? In Matthew's version, it's a little clear. He says, If you can understand this parable, then you can understand all the others. Why? Because this parable talks about the process. 
by which you grow in God. And if you can understand the process, then all the rest of these will work in your life. But if you don't get a hold of this one, the implication is the rest of them won't do you any good or much good because they'll be like milk when you need meat. So now he goes on to explain what this parable meant. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside when the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes along immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Likewise, those, notice what he comes after. He comes after the word. He doesn't come after you. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't even know who you are. But he comes after the word because he knows what the word will do if it's sown in your heart and it stays in your heart. He knows what the word... See, your enemy knows what the issue is. Your father knows what the issue is. We need to know what the issue is. The pickpocket, when he comes, or the thief, when he comes, he knows what he's after. He's after your wallet. So he may divert you with something else, but what he's after is your wallet. Satan knows what's threatening to him, and it's the word of God sown in your heart. And that's why he comes after it. And notice when he comes after it, immediately. Because he knows he cannot afford to let that word get sown in your heart. Because if that word, because remember what this word is, it is God's word. It has all the power and life of God in it. It has the ability to produce what it says. It's not like any other word anybody else can say. It's the same word by which the universe was established and is still held together. The power, it is creative power. So when God says there's a fish, that word creates a fish. So when God says, if you come unto me, if you come to Christ, I will cause my spirit to come into you. You'll be born again. You'll be a child of God. That word, when you receive it in your heart, that word you received has the power to produce that in you. And anything else of that word you receive. Satan understands this. That's why he knows he cannot afford to let it get sown and stay in your heart. Because if it stays there, it's going to produce what it says. So understand in the issues of your life right now. He will divert you. He's a con artist. He tries to get you to think the issues your spouse. He tries to get you to think the issues your job. He tries to get you to the issues of anything else to keep you from getting God's word sown in your heart and to stay there. Because he knows what that word will do. He comes immediately. Now remember who's teaching this? Jesus. And he says, if you can understand this, then all the rest that I'm going to teach you will produce in you. But if you don't understand this process, then it's going to frustrate what everything else I'm going to try to do in terms of your growth and maturity. Verse 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word of word, word, immediately they receive it with gladness. Praise God, hallelujah. Wasn't it a great service? Wasn't that message great? Praise God, hallelujah. That's wonderful. Afterwards, they have no root in themselves, verse 17. And so they endure only for a time. Afterwards, when tribulation or persecution or unexpected bills or a flat tire or your wife looks at you the wrong way 
or something falls through you thought was going to come through, or something worse happens, for the words' sake, immediately they stumble. Now, these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. These are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Now look at this. He said to them also, Is a lamp brought to put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? I used to kind of read that as talking about the word that's in us, we're to let our little light shine. And there are scriptures that talk about that. But that's not the context of what he's talking about. He's talking about mysteries that have been hidden to be made known. What he's saying is if there's truth, God's not trying to hide it. He's not hiding it in a basket. He's going to make this truth known, but only to those who have eyes to see and who have ears to hear. He's not hiding it. He's making it available to you, but you've got to look for it. Verse 22, for there's nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but it's not come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. There he is, he says it again. Then he said to them, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, that's in hearing, it will be measured to you. In other words, you determine the revelation of this word you get. You determine it. Not God. God doesn't have a select few. Well, I give the pastor more because he's the pastor. No. It's how you go after it. It's how hungry you are for it. It's how, it's, it, the same is true with eating, isn't it? They've got these little cocktail forks, you know, for, for shrimp and things like that, you know. And you've got this porterhouse steak. You want to get that porterhouse steak that's on the plate in here? You'll get frustrated with a little shrimp fork, because that's for shrimp. No, I want a fork, and I want a knife, because I want to be able to get that steak in here. So what you're using to go after the word determines how much of that word can get in you. You determine it. You determine it. So if you spend five minutes a week you're determining how much of that word, how much of that milk, how much of that is going to get in you because that's how you grow. If you spend 20 minutes a week, you'll be weak because you'll determine, that's determining how much is you determine by how much you put in you. That's what a measure is, isn't it? It's the amount you put in. The amount that you put in determines what the Holy Spirit's going to be able to do with it. You decide that. So you decide how fast you're going to grow. You decide. So God doesn't have favorites. And you may have had this experience that somebody comes along, they've been saved a year, and they've grown spiritually past people that you've known have been walking with the Lord for 30 years, and it may even be you. And they're passing you in the results, in their prayers, and things happening in their lives. And you say, well, why is God blessing them? Maybe, just possibly, they've grown because they're taking God's word in them at a level you're not. You decide it. The measure you use, the spoon you use, 
determines how much you get in you. It's your choice. Verse 25. For whoever has, that's understanding, to him more will be given. But to ever, whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. That's not that God's angry and says, well, because you don't have enough, I'm going to take it from you and give it to somebody else. What it's saying is you've got to keep this process going. So if you don't have, you're not receiving what you don't continue to receive. What you've already had will begin to waste away. Isn't that true with food? It's called a diet. If you've been eating and eating and you're just, you know, you've been maybe growing a little more than you wanted to or need to, and you just stop eating or stop eating as much, what will happen? What you used to have will be taken away from you. Now, in cases of weight, sometimes that's desirable. But in cases of spiritual weight, it's not. So if you don't continue the process of spiritually eating, then what happens is you begin to waste away. So you can't say, well, I've read the Bible. It's not a one-time event, just like eating is not a one-time event for your physical health and growth. Okay. So we see from this parable, what Jesus is teaching here, is that the milk, the food by which we grow up spiritually, is the Word of God. It's taking into us, receiving the Word of God. Of God. Now, here's the process by which it works because it doesn't make sense. How can I read the Bible, meditate on the Bible, and study the Bible, and that causes me to grow? Well, look at verse 26. He said, The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and he should, he should sleep by night and rise up by day, and the seed should sprout and grow, sprout and, grow and he himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself. First, the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Notice this. All the farmer does is sow the seed. It says he sows the seed and it grows and he does not know how. In other words, the growth of that seed in the ground is not at all depending on the understanding or the ability of the farmer. The only thing the farmer does is what? Sow the seed. Take the seed and put it in the ground. Because he goes on to say, the ground by itself takes the seed and converts the seed into the stalk which produces the fruit. Amen. So the only thing the farmer does, really there are three things. He puts the seed in the ground. The second thing he does, and this may be the most difficult, is he leaves it there. He doesn't dig it up to see what's happening to it. 
He doesn't get up in the morning and say, I don't know what's happened, and dig it. Because guess what happens? If he digs it up, he's taking it out of the ground. It's the soil that causes it to grow, not the farmer. The farmer's role is to take the seed and to put it in the ground. And if he keeps it in the ground long enough and it's watered, it will produce because the ground will make sure it produces. Because the power to produce is in the seed. But the seed sitting on the shelf will produce nothing. It's only when that farmer takes the seed off the shelf. It's only when you take God's word off of the shelf. Off your coffee table and take God's word and you sow it into your heart which represents the ground. And if you'll do that and you'll continue to do that and continue to sow it and water, then the ground, your heart, and the Spirit of God in you will cause it to germinate and begin to produce in you things and you don't know how it happened. You'll discover that you're not reacting the way you used to. You'll find yourself in situations where you would normally lose your temper and something's holding you back. I found myself in a situation the other day where my flesh wanted to react and I wanted to just go and tear somebody's head off. Nobody in here. But instead I came in here and said, I need to talk to you, God. And what happened is, it started with my mind. You ever get to put your minds racing and your flesh is crawling up and down like this? And you're just, you're... If you saw me, I wasn't doing it on the outside, but in the inside I was. And I'm looking in here. And I'm saying, God, there's an answer in here. There's an answer in here. There's an answer in here. You're in here. Your answer's in here. As it got in here, began to just pray in the Spirit and began to just spend time with Him. And draw upon what's in me. Scriptures began to come up. Well, how could they come up? Because they were sown. How could could the Spirit of God do that unless there's something put in there? So our job, but, but isn't that true with physical eating? You don't have to understand digestion. All you gotta know is to take it from here and put it in here. And we're good at that, aren't we? We're very good at that, aren't we? We're sometimes a little too good at that, aren't we? But it works. Oh, this I gotta tell on myself. Now you can listen in because you may have done the same thing. We fool ourselves. You know, you, you eat because I just went through a period of time, I don't know what I eating things I don't would not normally eat sweets and things. And you look and say, Well, this one bite won't hurt. Ever do that? Yeah. Of course it's not just one bite, because that one bite leads to another bite, which leads to yeah, this one bite won't hurt, this one bite won't hurt. So the process in my mind is, well, one one bad dessert won't really hurt. But the first day, okay, the first day that I go on a diet, and, you know, it's like, it's going to take forever. It's like the opposite. The principle is this, whether you, your body doesn't lie. If you take in more calories than you burn, they go somewhere. It just happens. I don't like it. I can curse it. I like what Fred Price says. Some people say, well, they've cursed the calories and cast the calories out of the cheesecake. He says, no, the Bible says this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Because your body, I don't care what you think when you put it in, your body will process it. 
I don't need to understand how. It will just do it. And the same is true spiritually. If I put the word in, if I put the word in, if I put the word in, if I, but I don't understand it. Just put it in. I've got some tapes on faith. I'm listening to over and my mind's balking at this point saying, I know, but you know what he's going to say next. But I keep listening to it and keep listening to it because it's not, gotta, it's not my mind I'm getting it into. It's in my heart I'm sowing it. My mind understood what he said the first time I listened to it. But it's not understanding in my mind. He said, he who has ears to hear, not this ear. He who has eyes to see, not these eyes. It's this eye. It's this ear. It's this understanding. It's, this is the soil it gets sown in. This is where the seed has to get down in. This is where the word has to get down into because that's where it begins to produce and cause me to grow and mature. In fact, sometimes you have to bombard your mind because your mind will balk at what the word says. But you keep putting your mind, putting it at your mind and putting it at your mind and hearing it and hearing it and hearing it and then other things we're going to talk about that can enhance it. But you keep hearing it and hearing it and hearing it and eventually what you're giving is the spirit. So you're not doing this by yourself. Just as your body has systems that are designed, once that food touches your mouth, even at that moment in time, your mouth begins to secrete enzymes which begin to work all before you swallowed it. It begins to break it down so that it's already working to get that food that you're eating, that milk, that meat, into a form that's going to produce strength and growth in your body. Everything in your whole digestive system is designed to work towards that goal. So all you've got to do is put it in there. And that system was designed after God's spiritual system of growth. All you've got to do is take the word and put it in you. Just like all the farmer has to do is take the seed and put it in the ground. He doesn't know why. He doesn't know how it works. He doesn't care. All he cares about and has confidence in is that seed he's let out of his sight at the right time is going to begin to produce something. The seed and the soil together produce the growth. The word of God sown in your heart. The better the quality of the soil, the better the growth. That's what that parable also teaches. But we grow by sowing the seed of the word of God in us. Just as you grow by the milk of the word. These are all symbols for the same process. We grow by the word of God. It starts with the milk, the easy things to receive. But then we've got to grow to receive things that are not so easy, like walking in love. We're going to talk about that. By accepting responsibility, that's, clo- that's more of the meat of the word. But you grow more by that than you do by just drinking milk when you're at a stage when that's what you need. Some of you may still be at the milk stage. You just need to know God loves you right where you are. But some of you know God loves you, but you need to begin to give that love to others. So you need to eat things out of the word of God that aren't just milk to you, but they'll cause you to, they'll challenge you to grow and to mature.